0: Look at the sky. Look at the river. Isn't it good? Look at the sky. Look at the river. Isn't it good? Isn't.
1: Roger yeah it is we're, we're calling to talk to you about your car, your car extended car warranty it's about to run out
2: <laughs> um I just trashed my car so does that cover that
1: yeah it'll be cool just send us 25 bucks and everything will be fine <laughs>
2: okay I, I got it. I got you covered or you got me
3: covered
4: yeah did you really just you didn't really just crash your car did you <laughs> oh, God, I had to come up with a quick quip, though you know oh, okay that was good it was very good very believable all right so let's jump okay. in all right, welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock.
1: And that is Rob Elba.
4: And we are just so excited to be here with you guys again. Uh, real quick, Barry, uh, a patron, did you notice Ryan Goulage, a patron of ours, upped his support, which he is did. something you could do from $1 a month to $3 a it month. It was so, uh,
1: much appreciated.
4: Yeah, that's something you could do. You could, you could downgrade your support, you but, can but you, you, you could to. upgrade it if you want, like you know. uh, like Ryan Goulage did. And don't forget, you can go to... Patreon.com forward slash TRGMH, uh, and become a patron of our show as well. Barry, I'm not going to mince any more words, but we are are very excited about our guest tonight. We are. We're uh, going to fanboy all over you, Roger, so just warning you in advance, uh, we're welcoming to the show Mr. Roger Miller. Welcome to the show, Roger. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great having you, and you're you're in um, Vermont, is that correct?
2: As southern, southern
4: Vermont, just like you know, about a fifteen-minute walk to Massachusetts. Okay, oh, okay. nice, nice. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Roger Miller, uh, multi-instrumentalist, composer, artist, uh, is was a member of the legendary band. Been mentioned on our show many times, many just times. Uh, referenced with all different kind of things. The incredible mission of uh, Burma. We did a mission of Burma record a couple of weeks ago with. Um, uh, Todd, Phillips? Was, uh, Todd Phillips, Todd Phillips, Mister, our, our good friend Todd Phillips, who I almost forgot uh, his Julianna name.
1: to feel three, <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, uh, a year or so ago, we had Peter Prescott on to discuss his beloved uh, "Here Come the Warm Jets" Brian Eno Oh Alabama. yeah,
4: that's right. Uh, did you listen? To, lie and say you listened to that episode, Roger? Did you listen to that episode? <laughs> I'll
2: just—I'll uh, tell you what I did. Oh,
4: Okay, uh, great.
3: great.
2: <laughs> I see. I right. didn't because I actually don't. I don't listen to those things. I, yeah. I just—I <laughs> so look don't... at them. I go, well, that's, and then I go on to my
1: next. Things. Most of the time, I'm working on music and stuff. I understand.
2: That's
4: true. You are all right. So you're working on. Uh, I just just going. Plus, to, uh, I
1: would have to think you probably have heard everything Peter Prescott has to say at least once, and
2: probably most. He takes over the, uh, uh, the stereo system when we drive in the van, and often this is really great because his taste in music is superb. Right. Oh, okay. There's that's good. Right. That's
4: good. Yeah. Benefits. I
2: can. I would just like to add one thing about Here Come the Warm Jets is that uh, I once. In a day after a show, where we're just astoundingly hungover, but we started off. We played both sides of me and another friend that were on tour. Both sides of "Piper," the gate that dawn. Both sides of "Here Come the Warm Jets," and both sides of "Chairs Missing by Wire." Oh yeah! And you could you could see a clean continuation uh,
1: continuing between all those pre records. Uh, Excellent. Like, okay. Sometimes the uh, the the perspective of a hangover it can be useful.
2: Right, because everything else, you, you're you working really hard to focus, so you're really going to
1: get... <laughs> so, fun, oddly enough, uh, you mentioned an album in there, um, the first one you mentioned, so you want to tell us what record you're bringing to the show?
2: Yes, um, possibly the longest-running Favorite album of mine, which is Piper at the Gates of Dawn by Pink Floyd when Sid was in the Commander's Chair.
3: Yeah.
4: Yes. Now, I'm sure uh, me and Barry, I know I did, I'm sure Barry did. Uh, many Pink Floyd fans, we, we knew later Pink Floyd and then we discovered, eventually discovered, sure. but you, you got onto this. Like, so when did you discover, like, how does a young, you were living, uh, uh, where were you living at uh, that time when you first heard this?
2: When I was in sixth grade, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Okay. So I'm that that generation. And
4: okay.
2: After, between when their first song came on and when their first song was done, it was like someone had put a magnet to my head, <laughs> and I was completely right. <laughs> Before that, I was the little kid who wandered around. Afterwards, I was a rocker. But you know, the Beatles were not accessible to me. The first band that I really felt an acute a kinship with was uh, the Thirteenth Floor Elevators. First. Oh
1: album. yeah, yeah,
2: really. Because that one has a lot of dream states and kind of mystical and psychedelia. Yeah. And another curious thing is his name, Rocky, his given name is Roger.
1: That's right. We discussed uh, Rocky Erickson record three weeks ago. Oh, that's uh, th- right. We did the evil one. And uh, yeah, Roger, well, Kai, what's the middle name? It's odd. K Y Kyrie Kai. It's a very odd middle name. And they combine uh, yeah. the two of them to make Rocky.
2: There we go. I didn't know that was
4: the
3: origin.
1: I didn't until we researched the
2: so record. So, how
4: does a kid in uh, all right? So you you grew up where? Where were you living at this time when you were in sixth grade?
2: I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So by the time I was in ninth grade, which was '67, it was this you know the summer of summer of that summer was summer of '67, the summer of love. Ann Arbor was a hotbed of psychedelic mayhem. Like the MC5, John Sinclair, the Iggy Pop went to my high school, but he oh was you know four or five years older than me. Right. Uh, but it was just in the air everywhere you know you'd see the mc5 in the afternoon and you heard everything that was happening and you're gonna miss me got to number 13 on the detroit station called <laughs> <Wow. Church.
1: laughs> yeah okay i'm from florida so that that didn't happen
4: yeah you,
1: know? that's a, <laughs> <laughs> where you were but it did where i was so that was, was a pretty good
4: Oh, ah, okay. All right, so you were into 13th Floor Elevators. And so how did you, w- did you discover Pink Floyd on this album? Or was it the next album, uh, A Sauce Full of Secrets? We,
2: we, in the house where I lived, my two brothers, who have been in a lot of bands with me, and so there's three of us, and then all about the same age, and then two or three other friends were constantly bringing in records. So every record that was hit, we heard, because someone was bringing it in if we couldn't afford to mm. buy it. Friend of mine, one of the friends, Tom Grimes, brought in Piper at the Gates of Dawn. He said, listen, I was a bass player at the time. and He said, listen to this chapter 24 bass line. You're doing yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that impressed. I just said, what, <laughs> the, what about that? I could play that. But as time went on, perhaps when I started smoking weed, I started to appreciate Piper yeah. at the Gates of
3: Dawn. Yeah.
2: And uh, we also bought, so we bought it when it came out, the American version. And then we bought Saucer Full of Secrets, and I saw i was—I saw them on the tour, the Saucer Full of Secrets tour, in Ann Arbor in a club called The Fifth Dimension, which is, you know, you could fit 200 people in it. So I was like, you know, wow. 20 feet away.
4: Uh, I mean,
2: uh, and was Sid, Sid still touring
1: the with them, or, or had he, uh, he...
2: No, he was not, but no, they hadn't talked about that. And so i it wasn't quite what I was expecting. I was expecting more of a Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Maybe Saucer Full of Secrets hadn't come out yet. Right. was, was just... Uh, and I was expecting more of, like these really high energy kind of craze, and it was the more vacuous kind of thing of South Pole Secrets, which I also really, really liked. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of... I went through with my brother Ben. I was kind of disappointed, but they played a song I'd never heard before, which the, the next day I was going into town... Uh, and went by the record store so you know I went to the record stores almost every day and that same song they were playing and it was Astronomy Dominated
4: mm, yeah. they
2: were playing it on the English version of the album
4: oh right yeah and you know, that's I had, on the US version right
2: on the US one so I'd never heard of it and I said that was my favorite song I've you know flipped out my dough and that's when the the English version came into our house you know the UK version of the Gates of Dawn miraculously there was also Flaming and Bike on it right you know, it was, it was well, it's just like a dream come true. Like you just
1: suddenly dig somewhere and
2: you find gold.
4: Right, you know? right. <laughs> wow, look at you buying imports already, like in uh, in high school. As I right, that
1: it. must have been quite a uh, uh, quite a record store if they were having imports of Pink Floyd records and they were in playing '67. And yeah, playing yeah, yeah,
4: uh, uh, yeah. Um, and then it was '68, six,
2: but yeah. I mean, you know, you know, the MC Five would come to the same stores, and you sure. know uh, SRC. You know the rationals and all that. It was, a, it was a
1: pretty good scene. Right. I, yeah, I would say that's an understatement. Yeah, if you're talking about yeah. <laughs>
4: um. Yeah. So that. So uh, obviously, like I said, I discovered. Uh, you know, late. I had already known Pink Floyd, and and one thing that that struck me when I first heard. Um, uh, you know this record and the Sid Barrett stuff was how it, it was so much more. I don't know. Playful. I, it playful, whimsical, and yeah. they became much more dour and much yeah, more serious. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, more. later on, yeah. once he left the band,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of heaviness, you know, like this is profound. You know? Right. <laughs> I yeah, mean, by yeah. the time they Dark Side of the Moon, I go, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" Yeah. You know, I, I saw every they did from Soft Secrets through Dark Side of the Moon in mm-hmm. you know, Harbor. Like every year, I saw them. Oh wow! Um, and Dark Side of the Moon, I was there with my girlfriend. And we were smoking pot. And it was it's excellent make- <laughs> make-out music.
4: If you haven't. it's <laughs> I mean, nice it's you it's slow and slow and creamy, it, and you you heard it here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Miller <Maris laughs> says. Dark Side of the Moon is excellent makeup music. Yeah, I
1: am. My introduction to early Pink Floyd was uh, in Orlando. I was probably in ninth grade, and they played um, uh, the Pink Floyd at Pompeii movie at the you know the underground cinema in Orlando. We got really stoned and went, and I must say that was. I, I hate to use the word mind-blowing but it was genuinely terrifying to see that film at age 14 and just be stoned and sitting there and completely immobilized uh it seemed so alien and so bizarre and so different from the pink floyd that i was you know you hear on the radio and i'm sure the wall I i see right yeah
2: so there was quite a bit after like dark side of the moon and stuff
1: Oh yeah, no. I'm I'm I graduated I'm your, high school '82, so yeah. It was it was it was probably 1980 when I when I, when I saw that. Mm, I see. Right. Context.
2: Yeah, cool. yeah. That would. I mean. when it came out. I didn't even want to watch it because I just seen the band play that show. <laughs> <laughs> see, on in Ohio. Why would I want? To it's movie? pretty
1: freaky. Right. I the setting and especially at the time. I'm sure now if I saw it, I would find parts portions of it extremely dated. But uh, to a fourteen-year-old mind, it was uh, impressive. Oh. and then totally. you know, exactly. and I was familiar with Piper. Um, probably listened to that record more than a lot of most other Pink Floyd records. And of course, and uh, mainly I would get stuck on uh, um, Lucifer Sam because it's got that incredible guitar riff. And so yeah, that, that riff, yeah. Oh. Uh,
4: now, so, Roger, were you playing, or you you were playing already by the time you, you heard this and got into this? You were already playing, a, or you said you were playing bass at first, right?
2: In the summer of summer of 67, which was technically the summer of love, you know, the Grateful the Dead played right. a free concert in that. Yes. Uh, me and my two brothers, one play, so there's three of us, all we needed was a couple more people, and we had a real band. And that's that spring and summer, we did... You know, we we cover uh, thirteenth elevators. You know, splash one. You're gonna miss me. Yeah. Hendrick time went on, but you know, kinks like rainy day in June. I remember really liking
3: oh, nice, simple nice.
2: stones songs because you could. You know, we just figured them out by listening to the records because we had all. You know, I took piano lessons when I was a kid and I was playing French horn in the concert junior high school concert orchestra. You know, oh, nice. but I, what I was into it was you know figuring out Keith Richards guitar licks and sounding more like the elevators. So that was the that was the condition I was in when my friend played me "Piper at the Gates of Dawn," mm-hmm. which was like, "Wow, oh, this is," you know, it took me a little bit to get it, and it became, it just became part of the things, the whole scene. Like I really loved uh, "After Bathing at Baxter's" was probably my favorite record. In ah, yeah. we, we've done that we've one done too. That we've done, done
4: that on the show, and that yeah. was a. Re- revelation to me because i was not familiar with that right, record that at was, all uh, and uh, yeah richard.
2: oh yeah if you just know if you just know the more slick airplane stuff or even the more straight up
4: yeah it's that, a, it was
1: it was quite a quite a, uh i think richard metzger from dangerous minds the website came yeah, on did and did that, that record, record. Yeah. speaking
4: of smoking pot copious amounts <laughs> of uh, marijuana yeah,
1: he's a, uh, he's an un- unapologetic <laughs> pothead well so. you know
4: uh everyone's got <laughs> well, a was- hobby
2: everyone's good I have a hobby but so but then I anyways I played in some bands and then all my bands would I would like write cream knockoff kind of song I had a power trio and then one night my parents were out and me and Larry and Ben my my brothers are twins and they're two younger than me Lawrence Miller and Benjamin Miller and uh, I still play in bands with them on occasion um we, just, we said, we're just going to get Stone and go there and play on the, the was a guitar amp, a bass amp, and a drum amp, and a drum kit. Yep. Mike from my other band. And we went down Super Stone, and it was like ma- something happened. Like, just that night, the magic happened. When we listened back to it, we said, oh my God, this sounds like Interstellar Overdrive. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. As that happened, Piper the Gates of Dawn went from being like... One of the many cool albums I like too. There's the lodestone. Someone yeah. has been there. Someone has been there before us, and and is a master. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so, like, Sid Barrett became our favorite guitar player. Well, that's my first I, yeah, song.
4: Well, that's what I was going to ask you because, in listening to it, I could definitely see that Sid Barrett was uh, influenced to you as far as his uh, playing, his guitar playing. Yeah. I could hear it. Yeah, I mean. He, he makes
2: sounds, like in the Stockhausen kind of sense, he's more interested on occasion yeah. in making sounds out of the guitar than, you know, playing a blues lick.
3: Right, right. And
2: that part definitely I've carried through, you know, even in Burma, which is, you know, pretty punked out and aggressive, but it's still, you can, if you think about it, there is a continuation there of that kind of thinking.
1: Yeah. And listening to this carefully over the course of uh, uh, the week that I had to listen to it, I um, I, in headphones, I was surprised at how aggressive Sid's guitar playing is. I'd never really noticed. There's some really um, hitting the shit out of it. Um,
2: yeah, it, particularly like in Power, power Toke. Yes. I think it's in that And a friend of mine who I played music with later, she said, that's the ugliest guitar playing I've ever heard <laughs> in my
3: life.
2: <laughs> I don't, I'm going.
3: Well, that's interesting because I love it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> right, right. Well, and but the but the other secret sauce that I hear, Richard um, uh, Roger, is that um, no matter how uh, crazy or psychedelic or noisy it gets, the melodies are still there there's yeah. still these melodies and that was uh, Burma that's what I loved about Burma too is that you also at the end of the day you still had these great melodies that were in there buried sometimes they'd be buried in there but they'd yeah. be there and that's what right, makes right. the difference
2: far enough something in there to listen to
4: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: we learned astronomy dominate like you Burma did we played it at a few shows and then when Sid died which was about a year later yeah. we pulled it out again and we played it somewhere in Brooklyn and we played it really really well like I mm. I channeled because he had just died you know oh, I channeled I wow. could do and on the in my singing like even trying to make my voice sound like his and uh, you know I know the song pretty well so on the guitar I was doing both organ parts and guitar parts mm-hmm. you know Rick 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 right Wright. right. Yeah. His part's too, like as much as whichever one I thought was the coolest one for me to be playing it that long. <laughs>
3: right, right. We
2: played it. Well, and afterwards a reviewer reviewed the show and said when we played that song, he cried.
1: Oh, nice. You know, oh, nice. <laughs> it
2: yeah. just died and I go we must have played it well, you know. Here's to you Sid. you know. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I mean I, I I don't I don't think we need to go into depth with the Sid Barrett story. I think anyone listening no. to this would probably know the story but that he did you know he had mental illness and he did he was um, basically after this record uh, did not function super well for the rest of his life and I guess lived with his mom is that correct that's my
4: understanding yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah it really it's kind of a tragic uh, story in rock and roll for sure yeah it's a
2: tragic story what's interesting here too like like Rocky Erickson and the 13th Floor which is also a tragic story Sid's name his first name also is Roger oh wow now now his real name was Roger Sid Barrett he chose to use his middle name now both those Rogers were my two idols first Rocky Erickson and Sid both of them went off the deep end because of psychedelic. now my fucking name is Roger Miller if there was any person <laughs> who's named Roger, we should have changed it because of the country. Yeah, creator. yeah. So much today, but it meant a lot then. It was you know, My mom even apologized for
3: naming <laughs> me that. Like,
4: cool. <laughs> well, you, you, you but, could. Uh, but you, you're Roger C. Miller, right? Like if someone, if you want to find you on uh, Bandcamp, it's Roger C. Miller music at... Uh, bandcamp. on
2: Bandcamp and I use even Clark Miller, Roger Clark Miller when I do my okay. right, classical
4: right. music.
1: Yes. Well, so but, I, I lucked out because but, my middle name is Roger, and no one ever needs to oh, know really, that. Oh, really,
4: Barry? I didn't know that. That's my at father's that. name, yep. Oh, nice. All right.
2: But um, it's some, some that my two idols changed their name from Roger and kind of went over the deep end, and I kept my name, and I've done my share of psychedelics. You but know. you
4: have not, as of yet, you still haven't gone over I, the deep end, I would say. So let's let's. And so I continue.
2: wonder if I had changed my name, maybe that would have just been pulled the plug, and I would have those guys uh, in the psychedelic okay. so let's,
1: right. let's complete this this sort of exploration is the name does Peter Green have Roger in his name anywhere because he's the other <laughs> he's the next one on that <laughs> list that you go okay it
2: an that is the next
4: one, the Green Mile issue. That's one Chuck brought Yeah, out exactly. Peter Roger Green. Well, let's yeah. just say it is. We don't <laughs> know. All right, so let's get in this record. Uh, this is the uh, the first one you got. The one that originally got you high did was the U.S. version, and they took the single, their second single, uh, um, and they added it to the U.S. version as as they would do when they'd release a yeah, band's it's, record it's in totally the
1: U.S. Yeah, re- it's totally It's pretty radically re. Uh, uh, re re-sequenced from re-sequenced. the British version. But it,
4: but it makes sense as an opening track because it's a really great song. It is. <laughs> so let's we'll listen to yes. s- a little bit of totally. See Emily Play. Emily tries
0: but misunderstands. Something in Clyde to borrow Somebody's dreams till tomorrow Family cries gazing through trees in sorrow, hardly a sound till tomorrow.
1: Lots of really interesting.
4: Yeah, there's, so much, there's so much going on there. And like when you all, really and it all ma- it's it. not
1: cheesy. It's not campy. It, it all makes sense. It's not like it's being consciously psychedelic in any way. Um, it's very much just works.
2: But that is, you know, that's Norman Smith who who worked on Sgt. Pepper. Yes,
1: I definitely. So he
2: was was experienced with this kind of kind of thing, without a doubt.
1: Yeah. But um, but it doesn't radiate any... Ca- my, my wife, I was playing this um, over the this, over this sound system uh, yesterday, and she said, oh, this is, um, this is Pink Floyd? I thought this... I've, I always thought this was the zombies. So she... Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. And this one must have been... I think this one got played on FM rock radio at least a little bit, because uh, it, 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 does, it does have that familiarity with uh, where you go, oh... I, I know that song
2: mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing it on the radio So much as Playing it all the time in the house
1: Yeah <laughs> Right Sure
4: um, Yeah but it's it, It's funny now When you listen to it Even though you're right It, it doesn't sound cheesy But it definitely sounds like 60s Oh yeah uh, Psych pop Like the like so, The, oh, yeah. the, the poppier psych
2: What's interesting about Sid's work And like that song As an example is a mixture of something I mean like it's real childlike, you know. That was part of Sid's thing, and I,
3: yeah. yes. some of that
2: really worked for me. Like in my band Sprott and Lair, which was '69 and '70. You know, like I wrote songs like "Sister Regis," "Sister of the Wizard King of Tokes," which is <laughs> you know, right up right up Sid's alley, you know. Right. Yeah. Right, and right. you know, I I knew what I was doing, but you know, it's but that that kind of childlike innocence, but then mixed with uh, you know, like that irrational piano, high speed piano thing in there. Yeah. And that kind of choppiness, like something just suddenly knocks something out of the way and then it returns. I like that kind of irrational thinking. Uh, And Burma still does some of that, and even Trinary System. I still like that as being a different way to develop uh,
4: songs. Right, right. Um, yeah, it, it's funny. Do you think maybe it comes from, like, you, you love that and you do it, but you're more conscious of it. As some of the stuff I feel like someone like Sid is not so conscious of it. He's just doing it because that's what he did. That's what he uh, believes and that's what he feels and he just did it. I mean, the, uh, right? it's hard to know. Whimsicalness seemed to be uh, built into him. Because <laughs> by the
1: time they would have gotten the attention where the documentation of his thinking and so forth would have been available to the press or he might have he was already pretty much you know checked out so uh, right all right so uh, and so you have to rely on the other members of Pink Floyd whose stories change over the years they do and Uh, and they
4: could be kind of dour and serious too (laughs) (laughs) yeah you think Um, all right so give the uh, US uh, when the US release credit they do the this mostly instrumental um, track is the second track on it and you you pronounced it great, uh, Roger. So you say the, the name of the second song here. How do you pronounce it? Power toke. Oh,
3: Okay. <laughs> you know, it's
2: just, on the on the album, on the on the label, and on the LP, I remember it being spelled slightly differently in the version that I had. Oh. And to me, you know, a power Toke is when you just like take yes. a massive toke Yep. Yeah. Yes. Blah, blah blah. So I, we always called it power Toke
4: Oh, okay. Awesome. So, All right. Well, well,
2: so, uh, so, let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that. Ah!
4: To the show, know I'm not a big jazz guy, but this to me, my ears, this sounds jazzy, jazz. it right? Is. It, is.
1: It, it is, it's very much it's, if he was playing instead of p- banging on the toms, if he was playing a ride cymbal, uh, and the bass was walking a little more, it's definitely informed by, um, something like maybe like Horace Silver, uh, with uh, you know, the way the piano's being played. Uh, yeah, it's very jazzy and very brave. Whoever sequenced the U.S. release, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think that they would front-load it with anything that was song-like, yeah. And instead of taking the second track and be like, "Yeah, let's put that long uh, sort of jazzy instrumental second.
2: I, uh, I mean, the thing is, I, I, I didn't know that much about jazz then. I didn't really get into jazz till like, like early seventies. But to me, that piano solo is like someone just ambling down a British road. Yeah, sure. You can just see that. I, you know, I don't want to put hobbits in it and stuff, but I can see... <laughs> I'm sure people wanted to put hobbits in it <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah. And this, the the thing that, that Barrett again would do, it was like kind of childlike, so you could have that kind of vibe. But then those chords, which you didn't get to hear, they just descend by half steps. They just go... Yeah. And that basically destroys harmony it's it, all the all traditional harmony that the stones would use in every single song they've ever written <laughs> yeah. was immediately so so it was a kind of a mixture of this avant-garde experimentalism you know whether he was conscious of it i think he was i think he was in fact conscious of it he was looking to expand things right but mixed with a you know childlike innocence perhaps great i see i see what you said it is good you're playing these for me because it does i take like little notes and i go right and then i think about the song in depth that's yeah. why we do it, it. yeah we realize
4: yeah at first <laughs> was it, when we first started doing the show we didn't we would just talk about it and then we realized now yeah, we, yeah, we gotta play gotta little play bits just to yeah. re- uh, refresh our memories yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, no matter how many times you listen to it, which how many how many times would you say roger just a uh, estimate you listen you've listened to this record in your lifetime
2: I, I can I don't have any idea, really. But you know, hundreds, if not a thousand. Right. I right. I mean, right. point it. It was no longer the most important album in my life, and that's probably when Burma took
3: on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Then I mean, uh, you know,
2: right. <laughs> it was always my the lodestone. I could never, I could never get close enough, and that's all I could hope to do.
4: Um. All right. So now we get a. Roger Waters tune the only right. Roger Waters tune because at this point this is Sid Barrett's band this right. is his and they, they
1: had been playing together since according to the bio since 62 which was a surprise to me I didn't realize they had been working together Sid or,
2: Barrett Sid Barrett was not in the band at that
1: point okay so he, he was joined, later okay
2: they had kind of a I, can't, I think they're called the Screaming Abdabs. <laughs> I'm really I'm going back in all the books I've read about or about Sid, and Um and they were they were kind of mundane, according to this person's thing, until Sid joined, and then he just brought in his songs and Psychedelia hit, and he led them to this dimension. You know? Yeah, right, right. I guess another guitarist too, and he for, he said I'm not going to play with this guy. He doesn't want to do feedback. He doesn't want to do any of this. Experimental shit, and so that guy left, is my understanding. Also, Sid Barrett did see. You know the group AMM?
3: It's, no, uh,
1: doesn't ring a bell.
2: Super experimental improv band from in London. Uh, guitar player. God, I can't remember, can't remember his name now. I really apologize, everybody. That's okay. Uh, he's, he's like Fred Frith, but he's more
4: Keith Rowe. There we go. Okay, like. Fred, Nice job, it, Roger. You came up with it. Pulled it out of his hat, yeah.
2: <laughs> I keep talking. His middle name is probably Roger.
3: Right.
2: Keith, Keith Rowe and uh, and Keith Rowe did a lot of experimental ways of playing the guitar. So you can see that with Sid, like using the slide and just trying. He wanted to make new sounds out of the guitar. I don't think he was thinking, I want to be like Stockhouse, or I want to be this or that. It was just like, what a blast. Let's do this. this right, right.
4: Yeah, yeah. Why and, not? Because you can <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. I mean, All right, so let's listen to the uh Rogers Tune here. This is rocking this, probably one of the uh, Yeah. Sure. one on the record. Uh take up thy stethoscope and walk.
0: I'm in bed, aching head, is show.
1: That the Yardbirds would at least, they'd have a verse and a chorus, and maybe another verse before the rave up. Floyd, you get one verse, and then just it's just rave up after that. It's like, okay, hit it. And um, I, I, I do hear in Sid's playing there that he's heard what Jeff Beck was doing in the Yardbirds uh, a couple, well, of, sure, of starting a, a year, yeah. year and a half or so before this. Um, with the the Telecaster and the sound of it, all of us there, I was like, "Oh, wait a second! There's that's that's uh, that's a Jeff Beck sound he's doing there."
2: Yeah, I mean, he just like my band in '67, we you know covered the Yardbirds and stuff like that. So, I mean, Jeff Beck was the number two guitarist after Jimi Hendrix, and he was there before Jimi Hendrix technically. Right, I think you know. For Your Love and Heartful of Soul. Heartful Soul, which has one of the first, I think the first buzz look lick on it. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Oh, Hendrix, you know, of course, that doesn't sound like Purple Haze, but still. Yeah. You know, he was he was there, and Sid was, you know, I believe that he was really paying paying attention to stuff. What I love about, there's two things that I love about the song, and it's not much of a song. I mean, there's, there's almost no song at all. Right. amazing that Sid <laughs> yeah. Waters even got away with it. But and then instead of like all all songs, they do that chord progression that descends. Yes. At the end of the, he does he turns it around. The chord progression ascends. And this time we're going ascends. up. Yeah, it goes up. Da 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 da. I'm alive, realized. Yeah. And what's what is also really cool about this is that that drum intro.
4: Pitfall. Oh yeah, pip-pong, pip-pong. yeah. The drumming is yeah, yeah. it's great. But again, on this.
2: something like it at the very end, but never in the middle. like they actually made a beginning. Then the the song, then the verses, then the long jam, and then the, an exit that's different. And then they put that little drum thing in at the end. So like that kind of structuring really appealed to me, who had played Beethoven, Bartok, and Bach on the piano. Uh, and the idea of kind of mixing that kind of structuring in with rock music here, with these guys just doing it, probably just being stoned out of their gourds, and just you
3: know, <laughs> wow. yeah. Wait, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: But, you know,
1: but th- they had the potential, stoned out of their gourds are not, the potential, the intelligence has to be there because oh, yeah. ninety nine point yeah, nine nine percent of stoned out of their gourds bands it would just sound yeah, sound horrible. like that. Sound like, yeah, me and and you in a room. another great thing about this record is that it is recorded really, really well and that the sounds are very distinct and um, there's it's you know the drums sound great and the guitars sound great and the bass sounds they do. great no,
4: uh, no matter what crazy shit they're, they're doing, doing yeah, it, it all it sounds great what bothered
2: me like as a bass player like I was I really liked uh, Jack Cassidy on, on After Bathing Bastards, Jack Cassidy was my lodestone as a bass player oh, he was, okay. Okay, okay really really good in every way you could possibly imagine and uh and, and then you had the Hendrix and the Cream sound, and then this Piper that gets the Gates of Dawn sound, where the bass is kind of—it's not heavy.
4: It's, that's it's, what a, it, it is muted. It's, it's not, more muted.
2: It, and that's that's what—that's why it took me a little bit to get into it, because I was into the new sound of, you know, are you experienced in Fresh Cream and right, right, and was. But then once I realized what was going on with this, you know, I was able to get out of my. Fifteen-year-old
4: mind. <laughs> it just it just blows my mind to hear Roger say, as a bass player, like he's referring to yeah, himself as sure. a bass player. <laughs> All
3: right.
4: um, one th- one thing I wanted to ask both you guys. Uh, that just jumped out at me, This that frantic-sounding guitar reminded me of Lou Reed's guitar in European Sun. Yeah, that and too, then yeah. But yeah, I'm but looking... There's no way. But it was recorded the same year. Yeah, right,
1: exactly. <laughs> so yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah. But it
4: really does remind me of that.
1: I, I don't know. Lou, I, I think, I think they, Lou was they just they both have on like mind. I think
4: they both just have maybe... Uh, like-minded. I'm not saying they hurt each other or anything. Oh, yeah, I'm just no. saying just two maniacs playing guitar. Well, I think Lou
1: just wanted to... Uh, um, that Mikhail had brought had been in a, in a um, love with Lamont Young and like these drone on ense- this drone ensemble, and so yeah,
2: stuff doesn't come out of nowhere. It it's in the air, and people that are the right kind of person stand up, and they become a lightning rod, and it hits them yeah, before exactly. it hits exactly. Yeah, that and was
4: very well put, uh, and uh,
2: Jimmy was like that, you know.
4: Right. Yeah. And yeah, and somewhat darker. argue You were like that too, Roger. Yeah, yourself, yeah, definitely. If, but a little we'll smoke up your ass.
2: Um, I did get f- a couple times by the lightning but, <laughs> what I what really I love about the song there besides the drum intro is uh, and I like all the lyrics you know Waters did fine for his first song but it's the the instrumental break you know the bass and the drums are just keeping the groove going but it's the synergy between Wright and Barrett, like they trade off back and forth, and then yeah. they do it together, and then, blah, and then, you know, they bring it down again, and they build it back, and it's it's like really incredibly musical. You know, I say that from someone who's studied music composition at you know universities. So. Right, right.
4: Yeah. Well, one thing I did stand out to me was. Richard Wright just is playing all yeah, over this really thing good. is playing the fuck out hey, of yes. this whole record. Yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just that really what, jumped out at me.
2: What is like they injected him with qualodes or
4: something.
2: Yeah. Does like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he play fast? It's all these real slow, you know, and that's cool, but Yeah, yeah. I love his crazy shit. When right. He, I mean, I he was probably trying to keep up with
1: Barrett though, it's my right. impression. Right. Really. And you know, it's like a really good when, job. When the leader of the band changes, um, things change. Just like it's hard to hard to imagine what um the Sid band if he'd have managed to kept it together a little longer, what this band might right. have done. Um, right. They would be totally different it would Floyd, be different. Oh this yeah, is, for sure. This is basically you can't if you, you can play this for people and they would deny that it was Pink Floyd. Um, we had a discussion last week about uh, dad, somebody's dad band that he that he knew, and he said, "Oh, oh.
4: said they're, they're doing Pink Floyd, uh, yeah, stuff." A- that and uh, he covers. asked him,
1: "Oh, you do anything off Piper?" And the guy just looked at him, like, like uh, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, of course not. <laughs> of
4: course not. <laughs> you know what we're playing. Um, so, uh, Roger, we at this point sometimes we take a little break. Do you want to take a break or you want to keep going through? It's totally up to you.
2: Um. Sure, sure. So yeah, uh, sure. We take a break. I, I don't mind. Yeah. Do you want to call me back? No, 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 no. Just stay just, on like, the line. Real
4: quick, we just re- refill. It's maybe to re- refill our drinks because that's the like the most important thing. We refill yeah. our drinks. Maybe Barry takes. Hey, I
1: am sipping a little glass of wine. Very uh, good. Sure. We'll be right back. We we'll so take well.
4: a break. We will be right back.
5: this tomorrow at isthistomorrow.com is a comic produced by Woody Compton and Kelly Shane. Woody and Kelly met while serving long prison sentences in Sri Lanka after being convicted of selling fake toilet paper to the Sri Lankan military as cellmates. They discovered that they shared a unique dark vision of the world, incorporating elements of conspiracy, UFO sightings, bad movies, and all sort of other now widely recognized as hipster baloney. Upon their release they traveled to Tallahassee, Florida, for reasons lost to history, they began producing, is, this, tomorrow, for a local newspaper, the P-Brain Clambake Quarterly their creative vision blossomed, and now today they have hundreds, if not thousands, of strips available, with a new one coming every week. Visit the fully rehabilitated Woody and Kelly's visions at isthistomorrow.com.
4: Yeah. It, yeah, it is. I was, yeah, I was. was telling Roger that's usually how it works. A out. lot of
1: my 15 year old choices were much th- not all terrible, but there were some definitely some uh, embarrassing.
4: I, you probably listened to Nugent when you were 15, right, Ted Nugent? <laughs> yeah, the Nuge. I
1: saw the Nuge. The last, the, my last interest in Ted Nugent was when I saw him on the double live Gonzo tour at this giant stadium, and right. I was like, this is incredibly fucking boring. <laughs> And Aerosmith were after him, and they were terrible. They were drunk and awful. Oh, yeah.
4: That was when they were at their, their peak uh, drug use. Oh, terrible. <laughs> terrible, yeah. I think yeah. I saw them at that Buddy. time, too.
1: I still don't. I mean, neither one of those will never do oh, a Barry, Ted Nugent. Barry or,
4: hates Aerosmith so much. I do. yeah. <laughs> I, have
1: a, I have can a,
4: tell you my I, my Ted
2: Nugent story is I used to do psychedelic lettering for a for a club in Ann Arbor called the Fifth Dimension. Yep. get in for free by if I did the paintings on the painting the two Friday and Saturday night things for the marquee like a little window and so I saw the Amboy Dukes on their you know their first tour yep oh wow uh, and you know Baby Please Don't Go was their big hit (laughs) right and you know I was again I was pretty young I was maybe in 10th grade by now and uh, and Ted put his you know, we didn't know he was an asshole then. He put his, he put his you know, Sunbird or whatever that Gibson up, yeah. top of his back of Fender amps, and he started bowing down to it. And I thought, like, God, that's so fucking cool, because I didn't know this shit yet. <laughs> and then, yeah. little fuse, and then they went through the song in the exact same place he knelt down and bowed before it and prayed to it. And I go... I get it. It's just a facade. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. part of this.
1: Yeah, it's just a thing they do. Uh, you know, because
2: I'm a, I thought, this is like, I'm seeing the truth, you know, but it's just a, it's just a, it's a show.
1: But yeah, well, you know, the, real- uh, the MC5, they had their stage moves, too. They had their, you know, the thing where the both the guitar players are kneeling down, and then they start uh, soloing, and they start leaning back. And so, you know, everybody had their... And at the time, you know, it, there wasn't necessarily a a stigma associated with having a stage show. Uh, I think punk, right. maybe punk rock sort of put, or maybe even Prague where that stuff, you know, people stopped moving around. They just stood there and played, uh, um, the, uh, uh the stage show lost yep. its uh, luster. <laughs> I have to Weird. say, you give me the first opportunity I've had in the show in the three years we've been doing the show to put some, play some Bela Bartok in the bed of the, of the, uh, episode. So that's, uh, very, very, and some and That's oh, I, a welcome.
4: I thought he was going to say Nugent to, to play some. Now nah, we're going to play. <laughs> not playing any fucking Ted Nugent. No, I was I, worried about that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah, Miller
2: this. comes on. Nugent comes
4: on. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, let's do this. We are back. This is that record got me high. We are talking to Mr. Roger Miller about a band that legitimately got him high as a teenager. The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. We're up to song number four. Let's listen to an ode, I guess an ode to Sid Barrett's uh, Simon's cat. cat." Yep. Lucifer Sam) <laughs>
1: one of the great riffs in rock music um, just unforgettable the first time you hear Lucifer Sam you're like oh that's amazing that's an amazing riff because I think it's an F sharp too and F sharp has got that dark key sound so it, uh, yeah, it adds to it. it
2: yeah it does I mean when whenever I would talk about Piper the Gates of Dawn it was mostly just me and my brothers out of the people that I knew that loved it and everybody else wondered why we did
3: <laughs> <All right.
2: laughs> and it did like something that was always lucifer sam and it and i kind of didn't like that because it was too easy to do
3: yeah
1: but
2: sure. now that i look back over time i did it in my band in 1972 Tr- trinary system learned it and we did it for a while oh nice uh, well it, it's because really it's catchy
1: it's, it's weirdly catchy. catchy yeah
2: Yeah, and you know the riff. I mean, from a musical point of view, the main theme, and then it's kind of a blues progression. Goes like one four one, and but when he goes to the four, it doesn't. It's not
1: the same riff exactly. Right. He changes up. He adds adds the major. He adds the little uh, 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 the major third in there, which gives it a sweetness. He doesn't just repeat the riff in B. He he uh, 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 adds that that E flat in there, which makes it oh, all of a sudden it's got this little sweet note in there. Changes up the feel of it.
2: Yeah, so that's what—that's the kind of thing. I mean, as much as I like Barrett for his, you know, truly acid-inspired stuff, because I liked psychedelics particularly at that time. um, But he, his imagination would do stuff like that. He wasn't content just to repeat the same bullshit. You know, he would go, "Well, I'm change. I go to the next chord. Why would I want to do the same thing? Let's do something else. Make it even cooler."
1: And I was—I was thinking about this track and that—that riff as well. And wondering, you know, it's got a, almost a, a Henry Mancini quality to it.
4: Well, yeah, I was thinking yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A Peter Gunnish. It's a little oh, Peter very, Gunnish. Very yeah much so, for sure. yeah. Definitely that kind
1: of vibe.
4: Yeah, and uh, also, it should be mentioned, Nick Mason's drumming in that is, is like it swing. Is fan- he's oh, got this swing fantastic. in there. It's
1: really good. Yeah, he's hitting the bass drum in an, in a weird spot, but it works perfectly for the track. Yeah, yeah.
2: No. Also, just like you were saying about Rick Wright earlier, who was... Comparably manic on this record compared to every other record since. <laughs> Nick Mason also is—he's peppy as fuck on this record. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, you know, even when you get to Umaguma, whichever they like, most of the time he's kind of laying back. You yeah, laid like, back. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. Everything changed. I mean, Everything's—you know—it's just a—it's di- just a different band afterwards. Roger Waters is your boss, boss now, right? So it's that's, like that's what changed. it is. <laughs> that oh, and David Gilmore also. So those guys, you know, there's different just different. And yeah. of course, you can't you know, they, they went on to trem- incredible success. Uh, did they? <laughs> so
4: <laughs> Yeah, they did.
1: I've they never talk. heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> did they make you
4: it? <laughs> huh? Yeah, um, yeah. After, uh, I know that, you know, one of the saddest things I ever uh, read was something about Sid. So they, they asked him, like, he was living with his mom and they asked his mom, does he ever talk about uh, and she said, he doesn't like to be it brought up. It, it gets in upset he gets a little upset if he thinks about yeah (laughs) how successful they became it's it's something you know that he doesn't like to talk about and it's like yeah i don't blame him yeah uh it's i mean
1: i you can't i mean i'm sure he was a a, a, he was it was like um you know skip spence where i'm sure he just wasn't capable of they, you just couldn't have this person. He, he wasn't equipped, equipped to, that, uh, ha- to handle the pressure, yeah, handle yeah. and then the drugs just, you know, overwhelmed him. And he, you know, possibly he had a, 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 a um, propensity for schizophrenia anyway. And uh, always,
2: I mean, when pick out from acid, it's usually there's already a precedent for the. Yeah, freak. yeah, right, right,
1: definitely, yeah.
2: Just thinking about this, um, there's two more things I want to say about. It. And of all the songs here, you've got this really heavy, ripping rock riff and a great verse and chorus. But what the fuck are all those sounds going on? Yeah, like,
3: oh, right, right cloth
2: is ripped in half and someone's like shaking like some little tinker bells right in your ears.
3: Yeah, you know,
2: it's just such a peculiar audio set that he is he is orchestrating. After he's got the rock song, then there's this other
4: electronic track. Right, know, right. Well, it's, yeah, it's like, how could we either, how, how could we just uh, either, how could we make it fucked up different, or how could I just express what I want to express, because who knows what he really yeah. was seeing and yeah. wanted to hear, and uh, you have to imagine, he got out of it what he wanted, this is what he wanted to hear, and he yeah. wanted to be on there.
1: Certainly hope so. Uh,
2: but you also sounds are very, like, LSD-like sounds. Like, yeah. Your brain... <laughs> well, yeah, or, you know, it's funny... In the things... So, so he was kind of creating his experience. Like, he would make that sound and go, God, that's tickling the inside of my head. So I'm going to keep using that one, you know? Right, yeah.
4: right, right. And, All right, so this is something he liked to do. He, he liked... Uh, this is... Uh, I guess it's based on a story from the book called "A Cautionary Tales for Children by Hilaire Belloc. Um, and this was the story Matilda, who told lies and was burned to death. Cool. Which sounds All like right. a really cool job. kid story. Uh, this is Matilda' mother. <laughs>
0: in my infidel waiting. waiting You only have to read the lines Of scribbly black and everything shine
3: The sound
1: of it. Right. quick Wright. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, Tolkien hangs over these, you know, anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Tolkien is large, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, and I see what you were saying about um, Roger Water, the bass playing, because the bass playing is great on this, but it is very... Understated, very light touch. It's a very 60s classic,
1: yeah. sort of 60s bass yeah. player. Probably you know flat wound strings. But you were, pretty, but
4: you were into you know more the the the, the, the cream, the heavy you know the um, lead uh,
1: bass. Somebody playing
4: a lead. yeah, look, Roger, like, uh, the who, my generation, uh, Yeah, exactly. That yeah. stuff. And this is not that. <laughs> this is not that. But it works for this. But it does work really for great this. Though, yeah. It? Yeah,
2: I
3: mean
4: this song. It's so,
2: Rick Wright has so much to do with it. Like, it's almost all based on these organ things. And then you get to that dark Arabic instrumental yeah, section yeah, where he. Yes. It's and, and. Like, he, it suddenly changes, and now you're in the story, and you're yeah, somewhere in the story yeah. of your mom. You're remembering. I always think of it as Sid remembering his mom telling him stories as a
1: kid but that yeah. maybe is not the case it's entirely possible
4: I think yeah I, I, yeah I kind of was thinking that too but I wonder why Rick Wright is singing most of it like he's singing the um, uh, the verses until I think the last verse Barrett sings I wonder why they had Rick Wright sing it
2: I don't know but you know there's another interesting thing about the Floyd at this stage is they really had three singers you know and they would all sing all the time right?
3: right, right. you
2: know Interesting harmonies, peculiar sounds, briefly coming out of waters. Uh, and, right, and right and Barrett, sometimes they sound kind of similar, whereas Roger Waters doesn't really sound like they
4: do. Right, right. Yeah, and, and they, they are all credited with uh, vocals on the record. So yeah, they're all definitely singing on the record. Um, all right, so we flipped the record over. Now we got side two, and we got, which is on the surface, a simple like childlike little song about a scarecrow and his, uh, his uncaring existence in a field. This <laughs> uh, just a little bit of The Scarecrow.
0: The black and green scarecrow as everyone knows Stood with a bird on his hat and straw. Everywhere he didn't care He stood in a field where Body grows head did no thinking, his arms didn't move, except when the wind cut up rough and mice ran around on the ground. He stood in a field where barley grows. black and green scarecrow was sadder than me but now he's resigned to his fight besides stars not kind he doesn't mind he's still in a field where Bobby
1: grows he so just it opens so. up like, yeah, it, yeah, and, yeah. And you wonder if that stuff was underneath there. And, and in the mix, they decided to pull it out and only bring it in at the end. And it gives it, it's sort of all of a sudden, it just sort of like a door opens and it becomes much more expansive. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, it's really. Go ahead. Yeah, very
4: pastoral. <laughs> it is. The, the key pa- word, the key I'm
1: phrase just... in there, as sad, it says, is it what he says? He's as, as sad as me. Right?
4: Yeah, the black and green is sadder than me. This, this to me, than is me. so sad because it's sort of hauntingly seems like it's like Barrett uh, predicting yeah. Yeah. What, what he his future. Because, uh, yeah, the black and green scarecrow is sadder than me, but now he's resigned to his fate because life's not unkind. He doesn't mind. Uh, <laughs> so it's just sort of existing. And I guess he got, in his later years, he was gardening. That was his life. He was just into his garden and into gardening. Um, so maybe he kind of became the, uh, the scarecrow. scarecrow. I and
2: mean, he did make these little personalities, like a lot of people did. I mean, to me, I really liked the Wizard of Oz books when I was a kid. I yeah. liked kind of fantasy mythology, also like mythologies, like Greek mythology. And so there's this jam session in 1969 where I realized that Piper the Gates of Dawn was my lodestone. That was this, when me and Larry and Ben formed Sprout and Laird. And it was because of weed. So I was, you know, I, I was
3: yeah.
2: a kid. Yeah. The whole thing was weed-based, and right. the Wizard King of Toke. Like I, I mean, I knew there was no Wizard King of Toke. but I was just making all this shit up. Right. And the Wizard Kane is a pipe.
3: And, uh. and one of
2: my songs, one of my songs in '69 that I wrote, well, during, homeroom in high school, was called "Thought After Toke," <laughs> and in uh, <laughs> that one. The wizard's cane need no longer be filled," said the scarecrow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Roger, did you ever think you're like you were like one badass trip away from turning yeah. into Sid Barrett yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering that.
2: And the thing is, I knew I was him, so I wasn't going to turn into that. Person. Okay, I made it out alive, and like my name. So.
4: <laughs> right, right, yeah, that's right. Um... <laughs> All right, this is the next
1: track. This is oddly enough my favorite track on the record yes I love
4: another jaunty uh, another jaunty little story bizarre bizarre little story let's listen to The Gnome I want to tell you a story
0: about a little man if I can a gnome named Grimble Grumble a little gnome Stay in their homes Eating, sleeping Drinking their wine He wore a scarlet tunic A blue-green hood It looked quite good He had a big adventure Amidst the grass Fresh air at last Winding, dying, biding his time And then one day, hooray, another way for nouns to say
1: The part where it really impresses me, where they start they start whispering in your ear, look at the yeah, sky, yeah. look at the
3: <laughs>
1: and you go, okay, this is really this. It goes from being a jaunty little thing about a gnome to oh, he's talking to, like it just again. He just drops you suddenly and in deeper into this story than you thought you were going to be. Because suddenly you're right, looking, yeah. you're standing by a river and you're looking at the sky and looking at the river. And he's saying, you know, he's saying to you, oh, you're in the gnome's perspective all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> you're the gnome. <laughs>
3: that's, so,
2: a, that's a good uh, literary technique, actually.
1: But. Uh, I agree, yeah. I love and, you know, and I don't, this song you know I, used, I I don't know when this song became the one for me, but I just have every time I listen to this record and I hit, I hit the gnome, I think, this is just fantastic, And obviously Tolkien again, you know it's oh, it's, it's a hobbit, and he's been on a big adventure, and that's obviously where this is coming from, but with the different it's it's got a, you know, and another thing about it, there's an underlying sinister quality to this track. As well, it's too cheerful to not be a little sinister. <laughs>
2: Actually,
4: sinister. Right? Actually, yeah. sinister. I agree. I yeah. Agree.
2: When I was when I was a kid listening to it, I didn't hear the sinister part. I'm just saying. To me, it was all uh, another. The gnomes found another way to say "Ooh my," and that was, as far as I could tell, by smoking pot and of taking course. acid.
1: <laughs> of course. Well, they <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: But but so to me it was you know you're out in nature again like he writes a lot of his settings are in natural spaces yes like this and this and that right. which I also do in a lot of in my music so that I kind of like that and I did a there's a song of mine on my Maximum Electric Piano record the big industry it's called We Don't Know Why and the lyric is at the end We don't know why. And that's directly related to.
1: Ooh. Yeah,
2: exactly. Oh, no, and when I in there. and Jeff Conley, who used to be called Mono Man from The Liars, a really oh, yeah, yeah. Man, He when he heard that song the first time we don't know why which is all on piano with delays and something like garage rock he as soon as I went don't know why he just looked at me and he knew <laughs> he it exactly he called
4: you out he said yeah I know where that's from totally <laughs> on but he wasn't criticizing me he knew no, that, no. like yeah. homage he said or, yeah that's an homage it,
2: that element into something else. And I thought that was, a, I
4: was honored that Jeff got <laughs> yeah. it. Well, the one thing I thought listening to this, I was think. I, sometimes I like to think like what artist might not exist if it weren't for this record. And someone who I actually love, Robin Hitchcock though, yeah. this could be a Robin Hitchcock song. And you yeah. could tell he, he, yeah. he obviously, I mean, I'm, this is no shocker that he loved Sid Barrett and this is, yeah. Robin Hitchcock. True. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do exist without, uh, Sid and
1: without record. Piper at the gates of dawn no, no yeah. for sure
4: alright so now we get uh, um, it, it's clear again this record how much it's from the mind of Sid Barrett and how just the, the band it's almost like they could have changed their name to of a course. different band oh, after, certainly. Uh, after this record I, I, I agree uh, let's listen to a little bit of chapter 24
0: All movement is accomplished in six stages And the seventh brings return The seven is the number of the young light It falls when darkness is increased by Success going and coming without terror action brings good fortune success.
4: Richard and Roger are going to town on this one for sure. Yeah, and I think I like
1: the thing I like about it the, the clever aspect of this is um, that little bass riff he plays because it's very sunny and, and, and it's a very sunny track. But then at the end of every 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 line, he plays this um this little blues riff on the bass, which changes it up a little bit um, mm-hmm. and and takes it makes it not quite as sort of. Um, as cheerful as it might be. And uh, allegedly this is based on the Dao uh, the De Ching, uh, um, that there's... It's Dao
2: Ching, uh, chapter
1: 24. It's oh, called okay. return. Okay,
2: all right. I mean, I, I love, like, when he's, he... Barrett will sometimes... I know he didn't write the words sunset, sunrise, but the way he repeats them at the end, it, it takes on, like, this profound thing, like the, like the phrase in uh, Arnold Lane to, to, know. you know, he just keeps to, to, know, to, to, know, and just kind of builds it into something. It's a simple phrase right, or right. even in, there is no other day. If, if, you, if you, isolate it and think about it, like I did when I was smoking
1: pot. And <laughs> <loving> it. <laughs> sure.
2: It really, it starts to have a uh, profound meaning, you know what I mean? Right,
1: right. right. It's, um, but then you, you know also in the course of this record you worry about sid because you realize that like he's obviously right at the edge of
4: it's hard yeah it's almost hard to separate it because you you know it's a we we get that a lot Uh, when listening to um a third uh, elevators uh, or rock the same thing it's like it's hard to listen Mm -hmm. to it and not separate it uh from you already because you know know, the history yeah you know
1: what what it led to and skip spence the same thing fucking skip spence walks out the front door of of the mental institution gets on a motorcycle drives to nashville and records an album so that all of that stuff is in there um and it um if you didn't know that you wonder how it would affect your perception of it but yeah with elevators and with with uh uh, floor any record like that
2: yeah, but at the time when I heard them and totally believed in the first Elevator's album and Piper's Gate the Dawn, I didn't know that right. what had happened, right. what, sure, what right. was happening. To me, these guys were doing incredible research, and because I was so young and didn't know how, how the world works, they were just going to keep researching more and
1: more yeah, forever right, and ever. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs>
2: think that
1: kind of shit, <laughs> right? Which
4: is kinda, it's kind in, of okay, but there's actually. something in you, Roger. Also, that that this is the music that grabbed you, yep, though. You sure. know, there's got to be some. You weren't no, your we're average. Not, we're not you, weren't, you weren't your average teen. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, because that <laughs> elevators, that first elevators, both uh, the first two elevators records, they're very intense records, uh, and yeah, they're very mean. intentional. Fucked up sounds, you know the the jug where he's actually just going. <laughs> Oh, yeah,
3: right.
1: <laughs> but he doesn't throughout totally the whole record and you go, wow, that is, yeah. that's, 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 that's a bonkers. Bon- uh, that's bonkers. <laughs> that's it's is. a bonkers thing to do. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it was bonkers.
4: All right, so speaking of bonkers... Get- just, let me just say one more thing about oh, Chapter sure. 24 yeah. and that
1: is
2: when I had my band No Man, which was kind of a rock thing, wasn't really, I don't care for it too much, but on the album on Express, there's a song called Oppression, which is, I get like, like chapter twenty-four, it's an I-Ching hexagram, oh, and like said, okay. just like when the endless abyss lies dead ahead, and towering behind is the jagged reg, You know, like it's all eating uh, imagery, right, so right, right. Just I did it entirely because of chapter twenty-four.
4: All right, well, nice. That's nice of you to own up to your influence. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's influence. Everybody's everybody's stuff
1: comes from somewhere. It, it doesn't does, come from nowhere. Yeah. So.
4: Um. All right, so now we Hello. get. Uh, this is like their Jazz Odyssey. You remember the jazz odyssey? Except this is, is great. Is,
1: yeah, it is. And yeah, Jazz Odyssey is not. No, no, it's not.
4: Uh, all right, so let's just. And also, I read. I don't know. Did, did you know? Uh, did either of you guys know that the main riff uh, supposedly is uh, sort of a riff from. Little Red Book, yeah, Little Red Book, of love, which I had no idea until I read it. I didn't know that, and then oh, I listened no. to it, and I said, "Oh yeah, wow! Look, look at that—the uh, totally. uh, yeah, which apparently is a Bird, uh, a Backrock song. Uh, Backrock song, yeah, yeah. But Love covered it, and I guess Bird didn't like their version of it. He thought it was bad because yeah, they well. just sort of changed the music. But that's kind of uh, the main riff. But this this goes all over the Let's place. Let's put it so. this way:
1: Bird didn't send his. He didn't send the royalty checks back.
4: No, 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 no. Yeah, uh,
2: that first. First band I had in '67, we we're doing elevators. We did Little Red Book by Love. Really? I, I had a minor second, dun dun dun. dun. Like right. that was one of the beginnings of me realizing, God, that's the kind of interval
4: I like. Nice. Yeah. Was that uh, was that with your brothers? Uh, with you uh, with your brothers? Lawrence and
2: Benjamin were in the band.
4: Oh, yeah. wow, nice. All right, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Interstellar Overdrive. <laughs>
1: song where it starts, he starts making that little weird noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. te- definitely, he was, um, the Telecaster was perfect for Sid because the, the tone of it is, is he just yeah, it's sharp. It I mean, is perfect, yeah, yeah. perfect
2: that, for that what that he's place, doing. Just, just cut it off when it starts to go backwards, there was a review of this record by John Sinclair and I think it was the Ann Arbor Sun, but it might have been. At the state, and he talked about interstellar overdrive. And he said, "There's a point in the middle where the music turns inside out," and I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what he was referring to yes, there.
4: That's a great description. into
2: another dimension, and everything's backwards and slow motion. You know, like you're in water. Right.
4: Now, uh, when you saw them the first time uh, on the Soft Little Secret store, were they still playing stuff like this? Like, were they still playing this?
2: Yeah, they, they did. I mean, they were doing stuff that later they did on the Umaguma, pretty much. But, I mean, they did Interstellar Overdrive, they did Astronomy Dominate, which I had not heard.
3: Right, right, yeah.
2: Right. And uh, I, I don't think, I'm not sure if Sauceful Secrets would come out yet or not, because I don't remember. I'm sure they did set the control for light of the sun. I'm sure. You know, that's what yeah. They would have, yeah. Uh, or Sauceful of Secrets proper. But uh, I just remember there was a lot of long stuff And uh, Rick Wright had to tune Roger Waters' bass Because Waters couldn't do it Really? And I was a bass player And I was like, fuck you, man Get a fucking job
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, w- we won't get into Roger Waters That's a, that's a thorny No, subject. we won't
4: that's... I don't think we need to no,
1: Yeah, because uh, I could go off on, you
4: know, uh, No, let's not do that but um, yeah, this is a yeah. This is definitely a. Uh, this song takes you to all different well, places. This is though. the
1: song uh, when I would play Piper. That gets up like Susan, my wife, and I would be riding in the car, like long car drive, and I'd put on Piper, and it would get to um, Interstellar Overdrive, and she'd be like, "This is disturbing. Can you, <laughs> you know, this this I don't this is I'm not liking this anymore because it does get dark did, and, and it did
3: you baby.
2: Did you see the movie Dr. Strange? I did not. Oh,
4: I heard they use this in the, yeah. in Dr. Strange, right? Yeah, no, he's, I When he's it. driving
2: in Southern California before he drives off the cliff, he's, they're playing interstellar overdrive. Oh, nice. And then when he the cliff and he's in the water and he's obviously damaged, they're using the slowed down backing part where he's going... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> they actually use paper. the... Uh, Interstellar Overdrive, which is, I thought, was just a brilliant Perfect fucking choice, <laughs> choice. <laughs> given that range is on the Starship Troopers Secret cover.
4: Well, one of our biggest episodes was the black album by the Damned, and they have a song "Curtain Call." And I don't know, if be, but "Curtain Call" owes a big debt to this song. Listening to it now, I'm thinking, "Oh shit!" Oh, yeah. Okay, Alexander's those guys. Still yeah, yeah, those yeah. guys. Yeah, the end, the whole ending of "Curtain Call" yeah. is. The uh, Damned were
1: yeah. not super clever about covering up when they were stealing from somebody. Oh yeah, so. no, but,
4: they, but but also they were very. I mean, uh, they loved yeah, all love the love shit. Of though. They, they loved oh, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: But this record, every time, not- I, every time I listen to it, I. I hear something new and the more I realize that it, it's one of those odd records that um, is like a placeholder in history like okay this this it occurred in a certain place in a certain time and it sort of encapsulated that era yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way that is perfect and, and, and in a way that it would be difficult to do otherwise um, it's like oh what was you know what was this 1967 like well listen to this and you'll get a pretty good <laughs> idea of what 1967
2: was like uh, yeah I mean that that piece Interstellar Overdrive it has, I'm going to tell you like little four associations with it for me because it's a pretty damn important piece in my life and first of all it was in March 1969 when my brothers and I did this Stone Jam and we recorded it and you know you know, $30 wall on Sack Recorder, but it sounded like Interstellar Overdrive because we were like, we weren't playing blues anymore. We were just making sounds and rhythms. So that's when Interstellar Overdrive became like a load stone. And then when I, that was nineteen sixty nine. then in 1978 when I moved to Boston, my very first gig in Boston, I was in the moving parts, for soundcheck, the very first thing I did was play the theme from Interstellar Overdrive. Uh yeah. Time and just because I was so happy to have a gig after years <laughs> of nothing. And yeah. the other band we were playing with in the back of the room
1: applauded. Oh, and
4: okay.
1: I, All right. You remember, I've come to the right. Do you remember who it was? Do you remember who was clapping?
4: Was it the... Uh, yeah, the mall. The band called The Malls <laughs> well, and Peter Prescott...
1: He was the drummer, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, that's how was that was happened. was the drummer, definitely. Yeah. So we,
2: there's, there's another couple more interstellar over associations. Um... I had a period where I was doing a thing called Maximum Electric Piano.
1: Yeah, like I saw that. Tour. Yeah, I saw that tour.
2: Yeah. So you're cool with that. And uh, I was supposed to open up for Robin Hitchcock in Boston, Cambridge, and unfortunately he got sick, so he couldn't make it. And I knew he was into Barrett. I have mixed feelings about him myself, but I still would be happy to open with him. <laughs> and uh, so I learned Interstellar Overdrive in my Maximum Electric Piano. Stuff.
1: Okay. To. Uh... And,
2: you know, I played the theme there and under down the piano with a distortion unit, and I could get that by playing <laughs> yeah, the right. Right. Thing. Yes. So, uh, anyway, so I did it there. And with Trinary System, I always wanted to have our equivalent of Interstellar Overdrive. And uh, there's a song on our album, uh, Lights in the Center of Your Head. It's called Infinity in a Box. And it's it probably always more to can than it does to. Piper at the Gates of Dawn, but in my mind, it's like, it's my take on if I was going to have a Yeah,
1: band. but you know what? Those those guys from Cannes, they were listening to Piper at the Gates of Dawn for sure. Yeah. Like, if you listen to early okay. early Can, you're like, oh yeah, the Floyd is right there in that stuff. Oh. It's
2: totally, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. So anyway, those are my, my little understanding. We, t- we
1: discussed about Burma, about when you said, I wasn't playing the blues anymore. We discussed uh, during the episode talking about versus how there was, it was, the blues was absent from that vocabulary. That it was, that there was distorted guitars and there was um, the energy of hard rock, but it was the blues... Was absent, and that wasn't a problem because obviously that had been done. Right, so right. there was this uh, other um, energy in there that was completely different. And I think what I described it as, it was completely inscrutable. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's what we found about Versus. It was a record that we loved, and it was completely. From the outside, yeah, like a- I
4: think I think I said it was like if you took four scientists who had never played instruments at all and play them a bunch of old classic rock and roll, and then told them, "Okay, okay. make a rock record." That was that's what that's yeah was versus. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, we're still talking about it, so it's great stuff. And Roger, uh, it was so great to have you on the show. Uh, we thank you so much for coming on, and you're doing okay. you're releasing cool stuff on the Bandcamp right now. It's uh, Roger C. Miller Music dot fan would and what, you're releasing like a, wh- a whole bunch of shit now right oh, it's, a, it's mostly
2: stuff from the past that is now out of print Right, you know, stuff on Ace of Arts Records s New Alliance whatever stuff that you can't get any other way and the rights have, re- have reverted to me uh so I'm just saying, you know, it's just up there, so people, you know, a few people will buy them. I'm not, you know, getting rich from it, but it's, you know, I just want to have the music out there. It's available. This, you know, it's available. After
4: That's this episode important. releases, you, you will become rich out there, Don't worry, <laughs> yeah, you will. Sure. Um, so <laughs> sure you will. where else, if someone wants to hear the latest, the newest stuff you put out, where's the best place for people to go uh, to listen to? The, new, the newest,
2: I mean, I just had an art installation where I mess around with records, uh, called transmuting the prosaic on, on my website you can click on a virtual gallery link of this it's it's really it's, and it's pretty
1: interesting rogercmiller.com
2: yeah rogerclarkmiller.com Roger is my Clark website
1: Miller.com. okay oh, yeah.
2: clarkmiller.com uh, there's lots of that. information yeah congr- if you go if you see the virtual gallery it's really they did a really good job there's all the stuff to click on and one of the things in it is uh, you know the signals calls and marches lyric sheet was all the words in alphabetical order
3: yeah. And oh,
2: yeah, so all the words on the record I had them etched onto a record so now the words from the record are on the record so the, so you the, look at the, the
1: unhelpful record. lyric sheet has now been
4: <laughs> on a put into a, le- a less helpful form <laughs> so meta
2: and then in front of that there's like a little listening station with headphones where I isolated every single word in alphabetical order the same way on my lyric sheet from signals, calls, and marches and I nice. cut a forty. 40- you can listen to that while you're reading the lyric
4: Nice. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm sure you <laughs> that right now. It's okay. got a
1: good beat, and you can dance to it. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, really. Thanks again. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And yeah, Roger, that was
1: fantastic. Thank
4: next week Ryan. we have another exciting episode uh, in in March. I don't know. I don't know. This is going to come out in this the one. Let's get, let's
1: just cut to the chase. though this took a while.
4: Oh God, it took. Yeah, we've been trying to get you go on for probably two years. But Matador in March, Matador Records is releasing a Gang of Four seventy-seven to eighty-one, which is a limited edition oh. box set. Uh, with Gang of Four's uh, hugely influential early work and next week we'll be talking to we'll be talking Entertainment Gang of Four's debut with Mr. Hugo Burnham drummer for Gang well, of tell, Four yeah. tell him I
2: said tell him I said hi because we're friendly with him He's, he sat in with Burnham when we first reformed
0: oh nice uh,
4: nice yeah I had in a feeling Boston I, one I, night I and, had a uh, feeling put- you would know uh, Hugo yeah I had a feeling you would and um, yeah so that's next week we got Hugo uh, don't forget you go, you go to instagram we are at that record got me high twitter it's uh at trgmh podcast on facebook it's that record got me high and also that facebook group got me high and barry what's the most important thing
1: that you go to patreon and go to uh, patreon.com forward slash trgmh and for as little as one dollar a month or more you can support rob and myself and our efforts at that record got me high and uh, make yourself feel better.
4: Yes, we would really appreciate it. We love all you guys. Uh, don't forget, to subscribe to us. Uh, whatever you listen share, to, share share the episodes and share it. We want and to
1: thank Matador Records for sharing that uh, uh, the Bardo Pond yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 That was a nice... would you
4: also know you're very familiar with Matador as well, Roger? Right? I don't know if you had, do. You have good. Do you have a good experience with Matador? <laughs> uh, we did, but there's a lyric in
2: the song "Spider's Web." Uh, just saying.
4: Sitting sitting
2: there sitting down next to who's gonna be mine, eating dinner on Matador's dime. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> all right.
4: That is from really important. Well. Important. <laughs> nice. Thanks you uh, yeah, thanks again. It was really great having you on. I appreciate it. Uh, we we appreciate it. Uh once again thanks everyone for listening. We are that record got me high. We'll see you guys next week. We're out.